Father God in heaven, it is well with our soul because of what your son Jesus Christ did for us at Calvary and because our faith and our trust is in him. Lord, thank you for that glorious, beautiful, timeless, everlasting truth. Father, thank you. Thank you for this time now that we get to continue to have fellowship with you because we're fixing to hear your voice through Scripture. Lord, do your work in our lives. We surrender and we submit it to you. In Jesus' name we pray, Father. Amen. Amen. I just felt led to say, you know, maybe you're here this morning and you're not a Christian. How can you make things well with your soul? It's, it's very simple. You put your trust in Jesus Christ. It's not a matter of works and do's and don'ts. But it's, it's, it's repenting, it's turning from your sin, turning from the old way of life, and putting your faith in Jesus. And when you do that, the Bible says he credits to your account, your spiritual account, your life, righteousness. Man, it's the greatest gift in the, in, in the universe is the gift of eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. You know, it's not about religion. It's not about steeples. It's about a living, personal relationship with Christ. Amen? Amen. Amen. And if you're not, you just have to receive him as your Lord and Savior. You have to say, Lord Jesus, I'm sorry. Please forgive me of my sin. I turn away from that old life, and I'm putting my trust in you. And when you do that, the third member of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit, he comes and dwells inside of you. It gives you this new life. It's beautiful. It's glorious. And I've been proclaiming it and enjoying it now for about 26 years. And I wouldn't trade it for nothing. Amen? Amen. Turning your Bibles to uh, 1 Timothy chapter 2. 1 Timothy chapter 2. I'm going to read the text this morning before I, before I preach from it verse by verse. 1 Timothy Chapter 2, verses 8 through 15. God's word says in verse 8, I desire, therefore, that the men pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands without wrath and doubting. In like manner also that the women adorn themselves in modest apparel with propriety and moderation, not with braided hair or gold or pearls or costly clothing, but which is proper for women professing godliness with good works. Let a woman learn silence with all submission. And I do not permit a woman to teach or to have authority over a man, but to be in silence. For Adam was formed first, then Eve. And Adam was not deceived, but the woman being deceived fell into transgression. Nevertheless, she will be saved in childbearing if they continue in faith, love, holiness, and self-control. To God's word, we say amen. And if the hair wasn't standing on the back of your neck before, it probably is now. What in the world is he talking about? This child being saved through childbearing and the order of service. 
and women. You know, there's, there's two types of pastors. There's two types of pastors pretty much in, in all, everywhere. There's pastors that preach from the Bible, and there's pastors that preach the Bible. Pastors that preach from the Bible, they really st- they steer away from these passages. Why? Because they're very controversial. They're very controversial, and they, and they get debated within the church, and, and people, you know, get upset over some of the things they say. But a pastor who teaches the Bible, which this is, this, is my, this is my life, this is my heart, this is my calling, is to teach through this book, chapter by chapter, verse by verse, precept by precept, and I'm not skipping one single verse. And I believe that this passage on, 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 our, on our awesome women and women in the church is a beautiful glorious passage and I'm going to show you this morning that this passage is not about suppressing women it's not about that at all we love our our ladies we celebrate our ladies God has a purpose and a calling on all ladies and all um, women young and old who serve him so the title of my message this morning is the elevation the elevation of women the elevation of, of womanhood and women, bringing women into a place of prominence. You know what prominence means? It means bringing, bringing out the importance in our ladies, the importance in our women. Some people believe, and some people claim, and I would love to debate them, some people believe that the Bible suppresses women. Well, I'm here to tell you right now up front, that's fake news. It's just not true. It's not true. If, if you look at everything the Bible says about women and you walk away saying it suppresses women, then you're not reading your Bible. I mean, have you not studied Proverbs 31, the virtuous woman? Have you not looked at Phoebe in Romans chapter 16? Have you not looked at Priscilla in Acts chapter, um, well, she's actually mentioned five times in the book of Acts in multiple places. Women have a prominent place. The book of Romans one of the great masterpieces of the Christian faith. If you read the final chapter, the Apostle Paul, he praises and thanks over 10 ladies for their service in the ministry. So, so David, what is this then? What are, what, what, are we, what are we looking at here? There's some pretty strong statements. It says, let a woman learn in silence with all submission. What in the world's going on there? I do not permit a woman to teach or have authority over a man. We're going to talk about these verses. And we're going to teach through them. But the first thing, I want to take your minds back to the first century. Uh, I, to get the full meaning of the text, we need to understand what life was like in the first century for a woman. According to Dr. William Barclay, in the ancient Greek world, women lived in confined life in their own quarters, into which no one but her husband came. She did not appear at meals she never at any time appeared on streets alone. She never went into a public assembly. First century Judaism did not hold women in high regard. Uh, women were not encouraged to learn. Most rabbis refused, they, they, they would refuse to teach women, unfortunately. We had that 400 years, that intertestamental period, where the Pharisees were born and the Sadducees were born. And really what happened was they got away from the Bible they got away from the Bible. This mindset that we see, um, Dr. William Jeffers, the Roman, Greco, ancient world was my source for the information I got. But uh, this mindset did not come from the Bible. I'll give you some examples. 
The Mosaic law was given to all of Israel, men and women. Deuteronomy chapter 1, verse 1. The protection of God's law applied equally to all, including women. Women had an inheritance rights. Numbers chapter 36, verse 2. Women participated in all the feasts, according to Deuteronomy chapter 16, verses 9 through 15. Uh, the greatest spiritual vow of the Old Testament was what? The Nazarite vow. That was the greatest vow. And if you read Numbers chapter 6, verse 2, it says that the Nazarite vow was open to women. Ladies served in the tabernacle, according to Exodus uh, 38, verse 8. God dealt directly with women in the Old Testament. He dealt directly with Eve, one-on-one. He didn't go through Adam. He went straight to Eve in Genesis chapter 3, verse 13. He dealt directly with Hagar in Genesis chapter 16. Miriam, Miriam, according to Micah, uh, was a leader in Israel. Miriam, Deborah, and Huldah, all three of those ladies in the Old Testament are called prophetess. Jesus, we get for, we, then we get to the New Testament. Jesus held women in high regard. He healed women, Mark chapter 5, Luke chapter 13. He taught women, uh, Luke chapter 10. He first revealed himself as the Messiah to who? Happened in John chapter 4. The woman at the well. He first revealed himself as the Messiah, the Savior, to the woman at the well. Jesus first announced his resurrection to who? Was it to the disciples? No. no, it was to the ladies as they were going early that morning, all wigged out after all they saw. And Jesus announces his resurrection, the glorious, greatest truth of all the Bible. He first announces it to the ladies. The Word of God holds women in high regard. So what I want to do first is I want to take you back to the ancient origins of the Word woman. I want to take you back to five, six, seven thousand years ago to creation and tell you how the word woman was formed and how we got the word. See, what happened was God caused Adam to fall into a deep sleep. He pulled a rib out and he formed a woman. Adam was in a sleep. I think it's in Genesis chapter 2, right around verse 20 to 23, somewhere right in there. I don't have it written down the reference, but it's right there. But anyway, in Adam awoke from his sleep. He looks over at the woman and he goes, whoa, man, she is awesome. And thus we have woman because she was so awesome. She was so awesome. And to that, we we love our women. We praise our women because our ladies are awesome. And for us husbands, our wife is the bomb. She is the best. Into that, amen? amen, amen. So let's look at verses. Let's look at verses eight and nine in First uh, Timothy chapter two. Let's go through our verse by verse study of this passage and see what the Lord is saying. Chapter two, verse eight. He says, "I desire, therefore, that men pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands, without wrath and doubting. In like manner, also, that the women adorn themselves in modest apparel, with propriety and moderation, not with braided hair." or gold, or pearls, or costly clothing. Now, this first verse really goes with the passage that we looked at last week. But verse 28, how do we pray? It's very important how we pray. You can't just spout off a prayer and and expect it to be a good prayer, a solid prayer, a biblical prayer, 
an honest prayer before the Lord. He tells us in verse 8 how we should pray. When he says men, he says men pray everywhere. Pray everywhere. Pray everywhere on all occasions at all times. Lifting up holy hands. Okay, you could say lifting up holy hands. I'm, I'm down with that. But also you could be going back to Psalms 24 where it says uh, he, we, that we must have pure hands and a clean heart. That could be referring to living a holy life. But to have powerful and effective prayer, we need to pray at all times, lifting up holy hands without wrath. The Bible says the right, uh, that uh, our anger does not bring about God's righteousness. And that fits of rage and anger has no life in the prayer in the life of a saint, especially when they pray. And it says without doubting. Hey, guys, you got to have faith. You got to have faith. You got to have faith. You got to believe God according to His Word, according to the promises of the, of the Word of God, that He is going to answer our prayer. That He is going to answer the prayer. And now we get into verse 9 where it talks about, I believe, the elevation of women. And in verse 9, He says, In like manner also that the women adorn themselves in modest apparel with propriety and moderation not with braided hair or gold or pearls or costly clothing. How, how, are, how are women elevated in this verse? This is where you see the true beauty of a woman. And that beauty is not on the outside, it is on the inside. It's on the inside that matters more. It's on the inside, you know, who cares what's on the outside? This could go for men too. It, 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 what matters is where is our heart? Where is our heart? Where is our relationship with Christ? Where is our relationship with the Lord? Proverbs 31.30 says, Charm is deceitful and beauty is passing. The stuff on the outside is passing, family. But a woman who fears the Lord, she shall be praised and Scripture is saying here in verse 9 that um, how, how, how you dress is part of your worship. It is part of your worship. It says we are to dress in propriety and moderation. And that simply, what that simply means is that, that you dress respectful, that you dress decent, that you dress appropriate. And, and what it means is, you know, when we come to church, we want people to, to focus on the Lord. We want people to focus on God. We don't want people focused on us. You know, we don't want people focused on, on how beautiful or hot or, or whatever um, the opposite sex is. You know, we don't want to bring attention to ourselves. We want the attention to go to Christ. We want the attention to go to the Lord. So he says, dress here in, 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 in modest apparel. This does not mean we don't dress nice, okay? This doesn't mean you come to church and, and rags and bags and, and not caring how you look. No, I like to dress nice. Every single morning at the Ford household, in Dave and Irene's bedroom, as we're getting ready for church, me and Irene give each other the north and south. You know, she looks, she says, how do these shoes look? She'll put two different shoes on. This one look good, this one look better. I'm like, that one looks better. She'll like, how does this look? And I'm like, oh, that looks great. And then I do the same with her. I, hey, honey, how's it, you want the brown shoe or the dark shoe? The lighter shoe or the darker shoe? The blue jeans or the pants? The shirt is, hey, honey, fix my hair. See how it looks. You know, we care how we look. We care how we look. We, we want to look nice. We, I, I like to dress nice. When I dress nice, it makes my wife happy. When she dresses nice, it makes me happy. 
But we want that to be balanced. We want that to be balanced where, you know, we don't want to draw attention to ourselves, but we want to draw attention to the Lord. And this verse, verse 9, it, it elevates women, specifically those who we're talking about, because the world judges a woman by the way she looks. And God says that is not the standard of measure. That is not the, stand, the, measure, the standard of measure is how you look on the inside. It's how you look on the inside. The inner beauty, the inner beauty of trusting in Christ and living for him and his spirit dwelling in you. That's the beauty of a woman. That's the beauty that lasts. That's the beauty that, that makes for a, a beautiful lifelong marriage is the, is the inner beauty as well as for the men, as for our hearts. So we, 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 we dress modestly. It says the ladies are to dress modestly. Verse 10, he says, But which is proper for women professing godliness with good works. They're kind of a, a, a summary of bringing verse 9 to an end. Where What he's saying here is uh, let your outer appearance, let your outer appearance reflect your inner beauty. Let your outer appearance reflect what is taking place on the inside. Now, let's get to verse 11. Verse 11. This is one of those that, for some people, um, they struggle with understanding what this verse is saying. And uh, so let's, let's check it out. Verse 11, it says, Let a woman learn in silence with all submission. All right, Pastor David. How, are you gonna, how, how, does, how, how does this elevate women? Let's not take it verse by verse. Let's take it phrase by phrase. Look at verse 11. Look at, what he, look at what he says and think about what the Apostle Paul is saying in light of what was taking place in the first century. In the first four words he says there in verse 11, he says what? Let a woman learn. Let a woman learn. God expects women to become disciples also. He expects our ladies, he expected the ladies back then, he expects the ladies today to, to, to learn. Let a woman learn. Paul's saying, no, she is not to stay at home. No, uh, she, she, is, she is to come and be a part of worship. She is, she is expected to come, in, to, to come to service, to grow, to be a part of worship, and ultimately become a disciple, to, to, to become a disciple of Jesus Christ. So you need to understand, men and women... We are on the same plane spiritually, okay? Uh, ladies, you're, you're not going to make it to heaven based on your husband's faith. You have to have faith. And likewise, the husband's not going to make it to heaven on, on, on the coattails of his wife's faith. Spiritually speaking, spiritually speaking, we're on the same plane. Paul says in Galatians 3.28, he says, There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free man. There is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. So we're on the same plane. We all have the same responsibility, man or woman, and that is to put our trust in Christ and to live for him and to ultimately to become a disciple. And it, the last half of the verse says, let a, woman, let a woman learn, let her become a disciple. It, and it says, in silence with all submission. That's a beautiful, that phrase, silence with all submission, that is a beautiful picture of discipleship. That's a beautiful picture of discipleship for, 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 for the woman to 
quietly submit her life to the word of God and to surrender herself after she submits herself to the word of God and learns from it and grows, she, she becomes a follower of Jesus Christ. She becomes a follower of the Lord. So it says, women learn, but come in and, and in silence, all submission, submit to the word of God. Grow in your relationship with Christ. Throughout the Bible, from Genesis to Revelation, and throughout history, Men and women have always been spiritually equal. They've always been spiritually equal before God. This idea that the man is higher uh, or closer to the Lord than the wife is, is just is not true. It's not biblical. And then he says in verse 12, And I do not permit a woman to teach or to have authority over a man, but to be in silence. What's going on here, Pastor David? Spiritually speaking, Men and women are on the same plane, okay? We're, we're on the same plane as far as our accountability and our responsibility before the Lord. But here's where it differs. Men and women have different roles. They have different roles within the church. And that's where the Apostle Paul is going here in this passage, as well as other passages of scriptures, is they, they have different roles. Look over, turn in your Bibles, which should be just a page over, to 1 Timothy chapter 3. Different roles. Doesn't mean inferiority, doesn't mean less than. It's just like in the home. The, the husband has his responsibilities in the home. The wife has her responsibilities in the home. The children have their responsibilities. We all have different roles, but we all play an equal part. But for the, for the um, let's look at 1 Timothy 3.1. This is a faithful saying. If a man desires the position of a bishop, um, he desires a good work. A bishop then must be blameless the husband of one wife, temperate, sober-minded, of good behavior, hospitable, and able to teach. And we're going to get into this probably next week as we roll into 1 Timothy chapter 3. But, but the role of the pastor within the church, it, that position is for the man. That position is, is, is God calls for male leadership in the pulpit. And if you flip over, it should be up on the screen, but Titus chapter 1, 5, and 6, Paul also repeats this, this statement, He's, and he, he tells him, he says, For this reason I left you in Crete, that you should set in order the things that are lacking, and appoint elders in every city as I commanded you. If a man is blameless, the husband of one wife, having faithful children, not accused of dissipation or insubordination. And the thing that stands out about these two verses that describe the role of the, the pastor, the, the pastor, the elder, the leader, of the church in both passages it says that this individual is the husband of one wife is the husband of one wife and that is a role that a woman cannot fill a woman cannot be the husband of one wife so so for the pastor um it's, it's the role it's male leadership in the church but that has nothing to do with equality or him being greater as I said in the very beginning, it's, it's a role. It's a role. Just like in the home, everybody has their job. Everybody has their places to be. And it's the same in Scripture within church leadership. It's, it's, for, it's, um, God calls for male leadership in the pulpit. That's, that's the pastor of the church. As I was studying this, I couldn't help but to think that there's going to be people in the fellowship that have been a part of a church in the past, and they've seen abuses. They've seen abuses, they've seen things done wrong, and 
I'm with you. I'm with you. I, I, I've seen passages like this twisted and distorted, and I've seen uh, men uh, use these to suppress women, and that is very, very wrong. And so I, I've made this, I want to make a statement on that. When, when, when people try to twist the Bible and twist the Scripture to, to try to suppress women, Maybe you've seen abuse in church by men who claim to be pastors. This is my statement I've written. Maybe you've seen abuse in a church before where, who, by men who claim to be pastors. To you, I say I am truly sorry. I am sorry. To those situations, I would say this. For any man to try and use the Bible to suppress women is sinful. Unbiblical. And that man has no place in the pulpit. Has no place in the pulpit. That's, that's pride, that's arrogance, and um, it's not biblical. The role of a pastor, the role of a pastor is to be a shepherd who loves and cares for the body of Christ. That is the job of a pastor. The job of the pastor is to help every man, woman, and child discover their place in the kingdom of God. So spiritually speaking, we're on the same level. But roles, God has called me in my role to equip the body, to preach and teach the word and equip the body and to help every single man, woman, and child find their place and their destiny in the kingdom of God. Church, you know, church Ministry is, bye-bye, see you later. Church ministry is not a place for pride. It's not a place for self-ego. It's not a place for power trips. It's, it's, It's a place for humble servants to come together and build the kingdom. That's what the kingdom is, you know, if, if, People think they're going to come in and they, they got it all together and they're going to be the head honcho and they're going to boss people around, men, women, children, whoever. They can go find another church to go to because it ain't happening here at Calvary Chapel. We hold our women in the highest regard, in the highest regard. We love you guys. So that begs the question. That begs the, 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 the big question. Can women serve in leadership in the body of Christ, in the church? And to that, I unequivocally say yes. Yes. But the role of the pastor specifically spells it out in Scripture that it's reserved for male leadership. But can women serve in leadership? And I would say yes. Give you some examples. Phoebe. Phoebe in Romans chapter 16. Listen to what the Scripture says about Phoebe. The Apostle Paul is closing out the letter, and he says, as he's writing the letter to the church at Rome, he says, I commend to you Phoebe, our sister, who is a servant of the church in Centria, that you may receive her in the Lord in a manner worthy of the saints and assist her in whatever business she has need of. For indeed, she has been a helper of many and of myself. That Greek word there for servant is... is um, it's translated uh, deacon in some of your translations. 
A deacon is a servant in the church. It's a servant that has a special role of leadership that, that oversees a ministry. Church history tells us, church history tells us, the church fathers tell us that um, the Apostle Paul wrote the book of Romans at Corinth. And he's sending this letter to the church at Rome. And um, church history tells us that he, it, he he's, think about how valuable now the book of Romans is. Think about how great and glorious it is, okay? You got to make sure that this letter gets to the church at Rome. Church history tells us that, that Paul used Phoebe to deliver this letter to the church at Rome. 700 miles on foot, on horseback, crossing hundreds of miles of ocean. And who does he entrust? A woman. Because he knew she would get the job done. He trusted in Phoebe. He put Phoebe and he calls her a deacon there in Romans chapter 16. We're going to look at this as we get into uh, 1 Timothy chapter 3. But there's a passage in there also that talks about, that talks about um, women serving in this role. So that's my first example. My second example from Scripture women serving in leadership, is Priscilla. Priscilla, Aquila and Priscilla were um, two people that helped out the Apostle Paul in the book of Acts. She, they are mentioned six times. And in Acts chapter 18, verse, I'm just going to tell you what we know about Priscilla based on the Word of God. Acts chapter 18, verse 18, we learn that Priscilla, she was a companion of Paul. She was a companion. This one right here, wow. Acts chapter 18, verse 26. We learn that Priscilla brought correction to a man on his doctrine and his theology. Who was that? Apollo. Apollo. So Priscilla did that. In Romans chapter 16, verse 3, Priscilla is called a fellow worker, a fellow worker, a co-laborer of the apostle Paul and his ministry endeavors in taking the gospel. The women played a major role in spreading the gospel in the first century. 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verses 19. If you're not getting all these verses, get with me afterwards. I'll email them to you because there's, there's a lot of them. But 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 19 tells us this about Priscilla, that she was completely committed to the Lord. She was completely committed. She was faithful, man. She was tried and true. You know, we have some ladies here, man. They are just committed. That is the foundation of the church, is, 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 is men and women that serve the body of Christ, and they're faithful, and they're committed. The final book of the New Testament, well, the final book that we know the Apostle Paul wrote, the Apostle Paul's final letter in the New Testament is of 2 Timothy. And at the end of 2 Timothy, he mentions Priscilla. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 19. He reveals that... Uh, Priscilla was faithful to the end. She was faithful to the end. Wow. In other words, she was part of the team. She was committed. So, I believe women can serve faithfully in the church. I also believe that women can pray publicly in the church based on a passage from 1 Corinthians. And I also believe that women 
can lead ministries. They, they can lead ministries in church. I'm, I'm going to close my sermon this morning, close my message out this morning with talking about some of the ladies that serve in leadership roles here. But women can serve faithfully. They can pray in service. They can lead in ministries. And they do a lot of wonderful things. Matter of fact, I mean, they're just, they're so pivotal. They're so important that, um, you know, many times, I mean, they're the backbone at home. A lot of times they're the backbone at church in being faithfully committed to the different ministries of prayer and, and teaching and, and serving the body. They're, they're very awesome people. They are, whoa, man, they are awesome. Let's close it, guys, with verses 13 through 15. Verses 13. The Apostle Paul in verse 13, he says, For Adam was formed first and then to Eve. So Paul in the text here, he, he appeals to the order of creation in, uh, in, uh, in establishing these roles. That, the, that, that um, Adam was formed first, then Eve. Then he talks about the fall. And Adam was not deceived, but the woman being deceived fell into transgression. But this is, this is good right here. Um, this is one of the most, I don't want to say controversial, this is one of the most uh, difficult passages in the New Testament to interpret. There's many different interpretations of what this is, but it's talking about verse 15. What is, it, what is this saying? I'm going to give you the three interpretations, and then I'm going to give you mine. And uh, Anyway, verse 15 says, Nevertheless, she will be saved in childbearing if they continue in faith, love, and holiness with self-control. Uh, three interpretations of this depends on who you listen to. Uh, the first interpretation is that if she continues, um, that God will save her in childbirth. And some people believe that. Well, the, the problem with that is, unfortunately, we've had ladies pass away, godly women pass away during childbirth. So I don't know if that's the best interpretation or not. But that is one of the interpretations that because of her role, she'll be preserved in childbirth and she won't experience death. So that, that's one of them. The second one is, uh, is based on the Greek structure of, of, of the words where it literally says, she will be saved, and here it is in, in the original language, in the childbirth. So some people look at this and they're, they're looking back at, um, at, at, at Adam and Eve in the garden and they're saying, well, she will be saved by the child birth, referring to Jesus. That's another interpretation of, of, of nevertheless, she will be saved in childbearing and childbirth if they continue in faith, love, and holiness, and self-control. A third interpretation, and this is the one that Pastor David really leans towards, um, verse 15, is this verse is a picture of women countering the fall and impacting and raising godly children. In other words, um, the fall took place and one of the most redeeming things that, that mothers can do is the impact that they have on their children. It's like redemption. It's like redemption that they... Um, as, as they raise their children, I'm sorry, dads, but our kids are closer to mom. They were in, they were in mommy's womb. They had all that bonding, and just throughout life, you know, 
children are, for the most part, except for some situations, uh, children are more bonded to mom. And moms have a greater uh, impact on their children as they grow up. You know, we, we, we all remember our mom, and we remember the, the legacy and the impact she, she gave us. Some of, you, some of you guys understand that impact may not have been very well, but hopefully for some of us, if not most of us, um, that mom or that mother figure, and I'm talking about mine in a second, they continued in faith, as the scripture says. They continued in, in faith in God, in love for the Lord, in love for each other. You know, we see in that mother figure holiness of life where she's completely dedicated to the Lord. And that leaves a lasting impact as she raises her children. We see mom, it says there in verse 15, uh, continuing in self-control. You know, when we should get a beaten because we deserve it, like that fire I told you I set the woods on fire the other week. <laughs> you know, that a lot of times, you know, moms will beat us when we need to, but a lot of times they'll show us mercy. And we always remember those times of mercy. So there's, is, I, I see it as a, as a picture of, of um, womanhood, women, countering, countering the fall, the impact, and raising godly children. Uh, I want to share with you now, it was um, October of 1991. I was getting ready to leave. I was getting ready to leave on my first deployment. And um, I was stationed in North Virginia, came home for the weekend, and my grandma, she says, you're going to church with me tonight. And I was like, really, Grandma? She's like, yes, you're going to church with me. Because I went down to visit her on that Sunday afternoon, but I wanted to get back here to Columbia because I had a party to go to Sunday night. I had some friends to go hang out with. But my grandma said, you're coming to church with me. I had the 12-pack on ice in the trunk, hidden. And uh, she said, you're going, to, you're going to go to church with me? And I said, yes, ma'am. <laughs> and uh, so we go to Crawford Avenue, Crawford Avenue Church of God downtown Augusta, Georgia. And uh, I sat through church. I sat there and listened. And the preacher's about to say amen. And I'm about ready to bolt. And she puts her hand on my, on my hand. She says, now we're going to the altar. I'm like, Grandma, I got to go. But all those years of her, her raising me and that godly influence that my grandmother had on me made me say, yes, ma'am. <laughs> So I went, to the, I went down to the altar, and I just remember standing there at the altar, and my grandma's beside me, and I remember all these hands being laid on me. I, it was like, I had about 10 hands on me. I heard people speaking in tongues, and they were, just, they, were calling down, they were calling down fire from heaven. They were praying so fervently, and I wasn't saved. I wasn't saved. I was not a Christian. I mean, they were praying for me so much, man, I could feel the heat coming up. It was getting hot. And I was like, Oh, my goodness. I mean, they were just praying for me, slapping anointing oil on me and all this other stuff. Well, anyway, as soon as they said amen, I bolted. I ran out that door as quick as I could, and I got on I-20 back to Columbia. And then the next day I left, went back to Norfolk, Virginia, and left for my deployment. And spent six months over in the med, and I would lay in my bunk at night at the USS Concord, and I was thinking about all those things the preacher said. And I got to, we pulled into Naples, Italy. I called my grandmother from the pier. And I said, hey, can you send me some tapes from your preacher? God was really working on my heart. I knew I was not in a right relationship with the Lord. 
I, I knew I wasn't where I should be. And I was, I was, I was hungry. She had them, them tapes FedExed to Italy and helicoptered by carrier and came out to my Navy, my Navy ship. And I sat there on that deployment listening to that, that, that uh, Pentecostal preacher from Augusta preach his sermons in my, head, in my headphones. And um, so that was October 91. Got back from my deployment April and May of 92. And it was like a month later. Um, I remember everything that preacher said and everything my grandma said and the, all the examples that she had set before me. And I got, I got up that morning and I said, I'm going to go to church. And I went to church that morning. And that morning, I surrendered my life to the Lord Jesus Christ. I surrendered my life to the Lord and became a Christian. But it all started back with my grandmother, my, my grandma Baker, um, and the influence that she had on me. So thankful for godly women. So thankful for our mothers. And moms, you can have an impact. You, you know, excuse me. It's not you can have an impact. You are an impact. You are an impact on our on children, on husbands, on family. Man, you are the cornerstone. George Washington talked about it. He said, man, his, woman, his, his mom was the greatest person he ever knew. He ever knew. And, and ladies, your, your role and your leadership in the family is so important. Don't underestimate how important it is. And in the church and in the local body, your role in the local body is extremely important. We are very thankful. We would not be where we are today. The church for 2,000 years would not be where they are today without the faithful women who have served the body of Christ. Amen? Amen. I want to close my message this morning, and I want to express my thankfulness to the ladies here and to the women of Calvary Chapel Irmo who serve in a leadership role at our church. The first one is my wife, Irene. Irene oversees the children's ministry and the women's ministry, and she knocks it out the park. She does a wonderful job. I think about uh, Mary Howell and Charity Beverage and, and Paige. These three ladies, these three ladies alone, they take care of the church finances, and they do a wonderful job. I think about Ida Hipkins, who oversees our greeters and welcoming our visitors. Man, her smile alone is worth coming to church for. Her smile and her hug and her embrace is just a, she, she makes, man, I'm coming to church just to get my smile from Ida, to get that morning smile and that morning greeting. But she, she oversees leadership with our greeters and our welcoming visitors. And how about Dina Sharp? Dina Sharp does a wonderful, awesome job of leading us in praise and worship. Back when we were at Lake Murray Gymnastics, remember those times, Dina? Remember you and Emily up there? It would be Dina, it'd be Dina and Emily up there strumming away on the guitars. And Dina knocked it out of the park with her leadership up here in leading the body, men and women, in worship to the Lord. She did an awesome job. I think about all the ladies 
all the ladies in our church, I hope, I, I know I'm going to miss someone, and, and I apologize. You know, I think about Deb and Greg and Deb and how they, how they um, serve with the marriage ministry. Um, and many other ladies, all the ladies that lead Bible studies, that, that put together the fellowship lunches. To ladies, we say thank you. We say thank you for what you do in our local body. How about the fifth quarter? Do you know, do you know who orchestrated that? The, the, the fifth quarter. If you came on the fifth quarter that night, I posted a video on YouTube about it when we were setting up that um, Friday afternoon. But everything came together. Me and Blake and a couple other guys, we came here. And Madison, Madison Reynolds, she was just orchestrating it. She was like, you go do this. You go do that. You hang these banners up. You put these tables here. You put these cloths here. And it was all done under Madison's leadership and guidance. And she did a magnificent job. Our ladies do a wonderful job. The scripture does not suppress women. It elevates them. It, it elevates them. Spiritually, we're on the same plane. We all have a responsibility to have a relationship with the Lord. In church leadership, the Calvary Chapel distinctives is the role of the shepherd, uh, the shepherd of the church, the, the pastor, the preacher is, is, is a male leadership role. But we see in scripture from Phoebe in Romans chapter 16 and many other places that, that our wonderful ladies are called to serve in leadership roles within the body of Christ. And it's beautiful. It just, we all come together in unison, in, in one accord, and we serve the body. Uh, even now, our, our body is, is like a, a well-lubricated machine. It's going wonderful because each person is doing their job within the body. We used to, in the early years, man, we had to scramble. Okay, who's got this? Who's got this? It was kind of like patchwork. But now uh, Dina and, and Blake and, and the worship folks and the sound folks, they, they got it all together, and it's all going smooth and going well. Our women's ministry, our men's ministry, our children's ministry, our, our um, student ministry, uh, everything that it takes to put together a, a Sunday morning service, it's, it's like a well uh, just a, a well machine, thank you. It just, it, it's going well. It's, it's, it's going very well at our church. And I just want to say to all the ladies that serve in those roles, thank you very much. Amen? We're going to pray. But I want to pray for our ladies this morning. I want to pray for all the ladies in our church. And again, our job as a church is to help you find your place in the kingdom of God. Amen? So let's pray. Father God in heaven, thank you, Lord. Thank you for your word. Thank you for this truth of what you've shown us this morning in 1 Timothy chapter 2. Father, I lift up our ladies. And Father, I give you thanks for all the wonderful things that you're doing in their lives and in their, uh, their roles here at Calvary Chapel Irma. And I just pray, Lord, that you bless them, that you strengthen them, and that you encourage them, Lord. Father, we are one body. We're, 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 we're one body that's come together to serve you and to bring you honor, bring you glory, to proclaim the gospel, to reach out to the community. And um, we thank you for the ladies and the wonderful part that they have played. Lord, now as we move forward at Calvary Chapel Irmo, Father, I pray that you would just continue to equip us all for the work of ministry and building the kingdom here at Calvary Chapel Irmo. In Jesus' name we pray, Father. Amen.